This episode is sponsored by Reroll Dice. Reroll Dice is a tabletop dice brand that offers dice made with recycled materials. If you think about it, dice should be needing less new plastic to make. There's already so much plastic out there in our environment. So my brother and I decided to make Reroll Dice so that we could actually start reducing and removing waste with our hobby. Each of our dice sets are represented by a character to reflect the sort of materials that are used for the set. Our newest character, Redivisius, represents two dice sets that are made with wasted plastic from a dice manufacturing facility. Each purchase comes with a Redivisius character card so you can learn a little bit more about this double-sided character. Our dice sets contain every die you'll need for playing classic tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. So if you're looking to play D&D, and need some dice, and you also want to reduce waste, please go to rrdice.com and check out our new Redivisius dice sets. Again, that's rrdice.com. Today, we're going to talk about some visual effects tools and methods. Hey everyone, welcome to the 36th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a open community Discord. I will leave a link for that in the show notes. It's where a lot of our community events go on. It's where we do a lot of discussion about making video games. And it's just a good place in general if you're the beginner to intermediate or even advanced game dev, it's a good community in general to join. Speaking of community stuff, this episode's topic was picked by the patrons. Every month, the patrons get to pick one episode topic, or at least they get to vote on which topic I do. And yeah, for the month of July, uh, visual effects won. And so thanks again to the patrons for their generosity. If you'd like to become a patron... I'll leave a link for the Patreon in the show notes. You get to vote on monthly episodes. You sponsor a third episode uh, every month for the community. And you get uh, a Discord role. So, yeah, I think it's a really good way to support the show. With all the intro stuff out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt or some kind of challenge to the community, and they go out and make the submission, submit it, the community votes, and we read off the winners here live on the show. And it's intended to be sort of little practice sessions or ways to get reps in. Um, Sometimes we do game design challenges where you write a post about how you would design a game. Sometimes we do art challenges and in fact this one was an art challenge for episode 35 the prior challenge and i gotta say this has been the best game dev challenge i think we've had so far we had a lot of submissions and a lot of high quality submissions and i think this might be the first time ever but we had a three-way tie for first place 
So before I read the winners, I actually probably should tell you what the prompt was. For episode 35, remember, the prompt was to draw the same character in a 16 by 16 and 32 by 32 tile size, and then post your two sprites next to each other just so that we could see the detail. And yeah, like I said, a lot of great submissions for this one, a lot of really cool characters, and people really catching on to the idea Remember last episode we talked about tile-based pixel art and people are really catching on to the idea of more and less detail on the different size tiles. But anyways, the three-way tie for first place for the episode 35 Game Dev Challenge was between Defrag, Julian, and Bitwad Justin. So congrats to those three. With these kind of visual Game Dev Challenges, there's not much I can do for you here on the podcast Um, You'll have to go over to the community Discord and check them out yourselves, and I really recommend you to do that because there were so many good submissions um, other than these top three, which are also very good. I'll quickly summarize what each of them kind of looks like. Defrag's character, Defrag says, I was inspired by the thought of a weary band of heroes making camp near the enemy's sorcerer tower, only to find the smoke from their cook fire coalescing into a smoke golem. And he made, like he said, a really cool smoke golem character. Chose a great color palette. It's kind of these blacks and purples. And yeah, the the character just looks really, really good. Secondly, we have Julian. And this one is a little bit close to my heart because Julian made um, the Paladin of Good Game Design. And it's kind of a classic uh, Paladin character, but it's sort of a character version of the Game Dev Field Guide logo. And so I really, really like that one. I probably will put that up in the fan art uh, archive just because, yeah, it's really good. And lastly, we have Bitwad Justin's post. Um, it's a alien with a like green smoking gun. Um, the alien has like one really big eye, and, and Bitwad Justin did actually a really interesting thing. There's like a reflection in the alien's eye, which gives its head a lot of shape. He also messed with the shadows and the shading on the head to give it kind of a round shape, and that's something that's actually really hard to do with sort of these smaller pixel sizes. So yeah, it takes a lot of talent in my eyes to kind of shade, especially the smaller tile sizes. And I think Bitwad Justin did a great job. He calls this alien the perp trader. <laughs> Those are the three winners of the episode 35 Game Dev Challenge. For the episode 36 Game Dev Challenge, I want you to record a GIF or a short video of a particle system and mention what you might use it for. Today we're going to talk about particle systems um, as one of the visual effects we're going to talk about and I'm going to give some tips on how to make them but really what you're going to learn is that particle systems are only bound by your creativity and so I'd love to see kind of do another art challenge I'd love to see what you guys in the community can come up with should be pretty easy to make should be a good little like 15 to 30 minute challenge uh, to put a particle system together and record a gif or short video of it working so yeah with the game dev challenge done let's get into the body of the episode so today's episode is all about visual effects and I don't think it'll really be an exhaustive overview of like everything visual effects Um, and we're actually probably only going to get to two methods or tools today but I think these two methods and tools are going to give you the most bang for your buck meaning that I think the average beginner to intermediate or even advanced dev is going to use these two things most of the time when they're looking to increase 
the visual effects or go to some visual effects to make their game look more interesting, I think they're going to go with these two methods. And those two methods are particle systems and shaders. So let's just get straight into it and let's start with particle systems. Particle systems are a way where you can use many small sprites or textures or even sometimes game objects to visually represent things that are made of particles. A classic example of this would be fire. Now, I suppose you could animate or even model fire, but I think that would be a real chore and not very flexible, especially in 3D. So, in my opinion, the best way for most projects to represent fire is with a particle system. And really, you can use a particle system for almost everything. Um, and like I said earlier, you're really only bound by your creativity. You could do weather effects, magic glowing, brass casings dropping out of a big machine gun. I've even seen some devs take an extreme challenge and make an entire game using nothing but particle systems. Particle systems are also great because most engines have robust particle system tools. At least the three big engines that I mention on the show that would be Unity, Godot, and Unreal, they all have particle system tools. Most of my personal experience comes from um, Unity's default particle systems, or particle system, called Shuriken. Um, Unity actually has two particle systems. The other one is called the VFX Graph, and it's used with the high-definition render pipeline, which I don't really mess with that much. Um, but if you're a Unity user and you're curious about the difference at a glance between the default particle system and VFX graph. Um, the default particle system uses the CPU and the VXF graph uses the GPU. And that just makes it so that with VFX graph, you could have millions of particles with almost no or very little uh, performance cost comparative to the CPU default shader. If you tried to do millions of particles with the default CPU particle system, I think it would definitely take a toll on the performance of your game. But with that said, the default particle system for Unity, I think, is the better choice for almost all games, at least the indie games that we tend to make. And this just comes from practicality. Unless you're a triple-A studio or just making like a really realistic-looking game, you aren't really going to need millions of particles. Unity's default particle system is plenty powerful, and with it being on the CPU, you actually get a few bonus things, like it can interact with the physics system, and the VFX graph can't do that without some extra work. So yeah, a little bit of a tangent for the Unity users out there, but if you're curious, I think the default particle system, sometimes called Shuriken, um, sometimes just called the default particle system, I think that's definitely the way to go for like 95% of the devs. Okay, so let's now get back to general advice for everyone and stop focusing on unity so your typical particle system tools are going to come with a list of settings or properties for each individual particle system and just so things don't get confusing um, when I say a particle system I mean a collection of particles so you might have one particle system representing a flame and a different particle system representing like a sparking wire Let's go back to the list of properties on a particle system. The properties affect how each particle in the collection will behave. They usually can be roughly split into two groups, and there's probably actually a third group we're going to talk about in a second. The two groups for the particles themselves are properties at birth and properties over lifetime. 
the lifetime of a particle is just how long it's going to last. You almost never want a infinite lifetime because each particle is going to have a very tiny performance cost, but even something very tiny becomes a problem when it builds up infinitely. So to fix this problem, particles usually have a lifetime. Setting the lifetime of each particle would be something that falls under the birth properties. Other things you might find in the birth properties are things like the size of the particle, its rotation, or maybe it's um, like start speed. And when I say start speed, that just means the direction that the particle is moving. So I guess the velocity would be more of an accurate word, the start velocity, because that's speed and direction. But the speed and direction of the particle or each particle is going to be determined by the type and shape of the emission. And the term emission is kind of important for particle systems, so let's talk about it. The term emission might be a property that goes into the third bucket that I was talking about. Um, and we can call this third bucket system-wide properties. Emission basically just means in what direction and at what rate particles are spawned. For instance, if you want a muzzle flash uh, particle system for a gun, well, that definitely has an emission direction. You want the particles to come out of the gun in the direction that the gun is pointed. So maybe you would set up a conical emission shape where the tip of a cone is at the start point and the particles are spawned and forced out in a conical shape from the barrel of the gun. Something like an explosion might have a spherical emission. That would be where the particles expand in every direction in a sphere-like shape. Getting the emission shape right is a very key thing in order to getting a particle system to look good. The particles have to move in a way that is believable. It's kind of a subtle thing, but it's one of those small subtle things that people notice and seem off when it's not done right. So next let's talk about emission rates. Emission rates are how many particles are spawned over a certain period of time. And I would like to point out that there's kind of a key binary choice when it comes to emission rates. You can have a continuous emission or you can have a burst emission. Burst emission is exactly what it sounds like. The particles are spawned in one burst and this might work good for the examples we mentioned before like a muzzle flash or an explosion. A continuous emission is where the particles are emitted over a length of time like the duration or duration of the system itself. The duration setting for a particle system, um, you can just think of the duration as like the lifetime of the entire system. Continuous emission might work good for things like a torch flame or a water fountain. Another property that might fit into the system-wide properties is looping. And that's simply if you want the duration of the particle system to be repeated. For our water fountain and torch examples, we might want that to loop. Um, but typically you don't loop burst emissions unless you're going for like repeated bursts, like maybe puffs of smoke from a chimney or something. So now we've talked about system properties and particle birth properties, but we haven't talked about one of the most important, I think really where the particle system comes to life, and that's particle lifetime properties. And particle lifetime properties, like I said, is really where you start to generate some visual interest. So let's start with a few examples. Color over lifetime is a pretty typical particle property. And color over lifetime is exactly what it sounds like. Each particle will shift in color over its lifetime. 
Fire, for instance, maybe starts off as a very bright red or orange, and then over time shifts into duller oranges and reds, and maybe even goes to like a gray smoke at the end of its lifetime. And here's a tip for color over lifetime that's like an instant upgrade to your particle systems. And it's actually not my tip. It comes from a really old and no longer updated YouTube channel called Making Stuff Look Good. But anyways, on that YouTube channel, there's a Particles 101 and 102 series of videos that are focused on Unity's particle system, but I think are really helpful for everyone, um, no matter what engine you're using. And I'll leave a link to those videos in the show notes. But anyways, a really good tip I got from that way back when I first watched it in like 2017 was that I should be using the alpha value on the color over lifetime property to fade my particle in and out. So yeah, I'll break that down a little bit because I think it's a simple thing, but it makes it look so much better. When you are setting the color over lifetime, insert a little key at the beginning and end so that the alpha value changes from 0 to 100 at the beginning and 100 to 0 at the end. And don't make them instant changes. At the beginning, you probably want it a little shorter, and then at the end, you want a slower fade out. If you remember from our pixel art episode, the alpha value is basically the transparency of the color. So by shifting that value, we can make it so our particles fade in and out from view. If you don't do this, then your particles instantly pop in and out of existence. And like I said, it's one of those very subtle visual techniques that I think really improve a particle system and make it not feel so cheap. You just notice when the particles are popping out of existence and popping back in, it just looks, I don't know a better word for it, it just looks kind of cheap. And so in my opinion, this technique, fading them in and out, is a straight up upgrade for most particle systems and something I think you should be trying. The next over lifetime property I want to talk about is going to depend a little bit on what engine you're using and what tools you're using for your particle system, but it's going to be something like direction over time or force over time or something that deals with the transform of the particle over time. And this I think is really where you can make particles come to life because it allows you to affect how they move and dance. For instance, you could make a really cool magical whirlpool particle system by giving the particles a radial force over time making them spin in a spiral. Combine that with a color over time property and you could have something that looks really cool. Maybe it's bright in the center and fades out towards the edges or maybe it gets really bright on the edges to kind of simulate or show off the fact that things on the outside spinning really fast are getting hot. While we're talking about transform over lifetime properties, let's talk about scale over lifetime. You can make particles stretch and squash, which are kind of classic animation techniques, to give things a little bit more of a physical presence, I guess. Maybe you want to do like a hyperspeed effect or wind lines behind an arrow. You can stretch and scale the particle over its lifetime to give the impression that it's moving really quickly and kind of leaving behind like light trails or it's moving so fast that the light is being bent. Like I said, um, you're really only bounded by your creativity when it comes to how you use the properties in your particle systems. Now there are a bunch more properties and I really would encourage you to go do some research and see all the different ones and see how they've been used. Uh, But I wanna talk about one more. And this is another one that's going to depend on the game engine you're using. 
but there should be some sort of way to change the sprite or texture or some kind of sprite or texture property. You see, with the default particle system, when you're first setting it up, it'll probably have some kind of default particle sprite. It's usually like a little white dot with fuzzy, sparkly edges. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe a better metaphor or visualization is like how a star looks. Not a cartoony five-point star, but like a shining star in real life. You can replace this default sprite with something else to make a huge change in how the system looks. You could, for instance, replace it with a leaf sprite, and now you can make an awesome fall scene with leaves blowing in the wind. You could animate arcing electricity and change that to your sprite, and now you have a really cool sparking electrical effect. Again, like the other properties, the possibilities are endless, and the tools are very powerful, so really it's all about how you decide to use it. And speaking of deciding how to use it, I want to leave you with one last method of using particle systems that I think really takes them to the next level and allows you to make some pretty impressive visual effects. And that method is stacking particle systems. This is the idea where you put multiple particle systems together on top of each other to give an even deeper effect. You would do this because some things are a bit more multi-dimensional and can't be represented with just one property on one system. Let's go back to our explosion example. One of the coolest visual effects of an explosion is the shock wave. And it would be really hard to set the properties in a way where you would get the shock wave followed by fire, followed by like lingering smoke. Instead of trying to do that all in one system, you can break it down into three separate systems parented to the same object. You can set up a fast-moving ring burst emission for the shockwave. You could set up a color-changing chaotic burst for the fiery explosion. And lastly, you can set up a delayed, slow-moving, gusty, hazy smoke particle system. If you stack all three of those things together, you will have a really great and dynamic and deep explosion visual effect. Stacking particle systems, in my opinion, is the best way to break down complex visual effects and make them look really good. So now that we're done with particle systems, let's move on to the next sort of method of visual effects for game devs. The next topic I want to talk about is shaders. And you know how I say that there are some topics that go so deep in our careers in themselves that I could never touch everything in a single episode. Well, I think shaders are a topic where that is the most true. In fact, I think shaders are probably one of the deepest, if not the deepest, subject we have ever touched on. My personal experience with shaders comes vastly short of being able to give advice for everything shaders. So we're just going to do the fundamental baseline and maybe talk a little bit about how they work and how to use them and maybe even make your own for your games. But I want you to keep in mind that this introductory segment about shaders is like a grain of sand on all the beaches of the world. So let's just start with the basics, I guess. This is how I think of shaders. Shaders to me are like the directions for the game engine on how to render what is in front of the camera on the monitor. And these directions can tell every pixel to do anything. A standard opaque shader might say something like, okay, we have two boxes. One is farther from the camera than the other, and the closer one is in front of the other. 
Therefore, we will render the pixels that are shown by the box in front. A transparent shader might say, well, if the box in front is glass, then we need to render the box behind it, but filter the light through the glass. And this is where it just starts to get kind of crazy, because let's say the glass is tinted, and the transparent shader might then actually add the colors together with additive blending, so that the glass in front is actually changing the color perceived by the person playing the game of the box behind it. Kind of simulating how light works in real life. But I think it's where you get away from real life where shaders get really fancy and really, really interesting. And those examples I gave you are just some basic shaders. But like I said, shaders can go way deeper. And that's because shaders can be used to alter not just the color information of pixels, but also stuff like the position as well. A good example might be if you want a wavy hot air look. You know how like on a hot day, like on the top of your car or maybe way out on the horizon, there's this weird effect where the air looks all wavy. Well, you can replicate that using a camera shader and a noise texture. And basically what you would do is feed the shader a noise texture and tell it which pixels to displace. And then you change that displacement over time and there you go, you'll have some wavy air because the pixels themselves will be like moving around according to the noise texture. And I guess maybe that's not accurate to say the pixels will be moving, but I think you understand what I mean. The shapes will be moving around on the pixels according to the displacement of the noise texture. Additionally, shaders don't just have to go on the camera. When they do go on the camera, they affect everything on the screen, but you could also use shaders to render specific objects or have specific objects have special properties. The classic example of this is a water shader. Water, like in the ocean or in a lake, is a hard thing to get to look visually right uh, because it's so dynamic. The color changes with depth. Uh, the color changes depends on what's floating in it. The angle you are viewing fr it from can change the color and how it looks. What's underneath it can change how it looks. It foams when it comes into contact with things. It moves and is wavy. And on and on and on, there's a bunch of things that are unique about water. And you can use a shader to simulate all of these things and have a pretty good realistic looking water effect in your game. So now that we have a few examples of what you might use a shader for, let's look at some ways that you might implement them into your game. Now first off, and probably the easiest ways, you can buy them. And maybe there are even some free ones out there. And the truth is, is that making your own shader for water, uh, for example, can be really hard and a lot of work. And because of that, there is a big market for water shaders on the Unity Asset Store, for instance. And the cool thing is shaders kind of meet like the technical realism of rendering water, for instance, and like a stylized cartoony style of doing water. And you have everything in between. So yeah, anyways, if you're brand new to shaders and want like nice looking water in your game, I would maybe consider finding one online and playing with it and seeing how it works. I think shaders are just one of those things where it actually helps to see the finished product and maybe how it works and then go backwards from there. And speaking of how it works, um, I basically see it as two ways you could make a shader. It depends on what features your engine has, but the two ways that I have seen is either by code or by some sort of visual or node scripting system. 
Unity has both, but the node system called Shader Graph um, I think only works with the non-default render pipelines, just like VFX Graph. So if you're using the default renderer for Unity, you'll have to do it by code. I'm not sure if other engines like Godot and Unreal have a node system, but I'm pretty sure that all of them can be done via code. And here again is an example of why I think shaders, in my opinion, are such a deep concept. Not only do you have to understand the code of how computer graphics work and get into, like, geometry and projections and matrices and all the super highly technical knowledge, but you also have to combine that with artistic taste and knowledge and intuition. And it's actually kind of cool in that way that it's such a melding of, like, kind of two things that are usually at opposite ends of each other. But, yeah, I really respect the people who are really good at shaders. Um, people have made entire careers out of it, and it just becomes from being both a very skilled artist and a very skilled engineer and combining those two skill sets to make things that look really, really cool. So as a shader amateur myself, and <laughs> extreme amateur, I, I cannot emphasize amateur in that sentence enough. As a shader amateur, I think the best advice I can give you is to try and stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, so to speak, and find ones that you like and then dissect them so you know that how they work. That way, when you want a specific visual effect, you can say, oh, well, I saw someone make a shader with a similar effect, and maybe we could try that and maybe make a few tweaks to see if we can't get the desired effect. And actually, that YouTube channel I was talking about earlier, making stuff look good, there's also a series on that channel. Um, it's like a shader breakdown, and it goes through shaders of a bunch of your favorite games and says, here's how we can replicate it using Unity or really using anything. Um, as long as you understand the basics of how to achieve a look like that, you'd be able to do it. And so, yeah, I think that's the best way to kind of make your own shaders is look at what other people have done and build off that. If you try to just like mathematically conceptualize in your head what the visual effect should look like, um, maybe some people can do that, but I don't know, that just seems really, really hard to me. And so I would recommend actually reverse engineering it, um, seeing the effect first and then breaking it down in the opposite direction. So yeah, we covered uh, kind of two deeper topics today, so I'm just going to summarize them real quickly. Remember, we started today's episode talking about particle systems. Particle systems are a way where you can use small sprites or textures or even sometimes game objects to visually represent things that are made of particles. Good examples of this are fire, weather effects, and magical glowing things. Most engines will have robust particle system tools, and remember that particle system, at least for the examples that I mentioned, um, when I say particle system, that's a reference to a specific collection of particles. So a fireplace might have a particle system for the fire, and you might have a different but similar particle system for a torch on the wall, and then you'd have a totally different system for a magical spell. What determines what a particle system looks like is usually a list of properties. And these properties come in three categories or buckets, as I call them. One is the system properties. These are things like looping, emission shapes, and emission rates. 
These are properties that affect the entire system of particles. The next is particle birth properties. This is things like the starting color, the starting size. These are kind of the properties that decide what the particle is going to look like when it is emitted at the start. And then you have particle over lifetime properties. And I think this is kind of the important key one uh, because this is where you really bring the particles to life. And this would be things like color over time, direction over time, stuff like that. Remember that the lifetime is a birth property and it just decides how long a particle will exist. Particle systems are really only bound by your creativity, so you have to get creative and think about how you're going to use the properties. You might use the size and scale to sort of simulate the particles lurching in a direction, for instance. You might use the color over time to show that they're changing in heat. It's just one of the things I love about particle systems is that you can get real creative with it, and I really think the possibilities are endless, especially when you remember that you can change the particle sprite for more interesting-looking particle systems. Remember I gave an example of, well, you could change it to a leaf sprite, and then all of a sudden you could have a cool autumn um, scene with leaves like blowing in the wind and making little leaf tornadoes, stuff like that. Lastly, remember that you can make really complex and impressive effects by stacking multiple particle systems together. The example I gave for that one was an explosion one where you had three separate particle effects, one for the shock wave, one for the fire, and one for the smoke. The second method or tool we talked about for visual effects today was shaders. Remember that shaders are an incredibly deep subject and you will definitely need to do some more research after the show, uh, but we just kind of introduced the basics. Shaders are instructions for how each pixel on the screen will be represented and rendered, and you can manipulate the shaders for really cool effects. Examples of this manipulation could be the color and transparency for something see-through. Um, you could even go for a color blending effect if you have like colored glass, for instance. You can manipulate the position for some warped perspectives, um, introduce some noise or interesting mirages. And you can combine all of this and put it on an object, and you can kind of have this dynamic effect. A good example of this is dynamically altering a flat plane to represent wavy water uh, with different hues of blue based on depth and maybe what's floating in it. Shaders like particle systems are really only limited by your creativity. And there's kind of two general ways to make them. Um, there's kind of the traditional classic way via code, and then now some engines are coming out with node-based visual systems, which are offered to you are kind of largely depend on what engine you're using. Remember that you can get pre-made shaders on various asset stores and other places online, and I think the best way, if you're new to shaders, to kind of get better at making your own is actually to start with finish shaders and reverse engineering them. Take a finish shader that you like and dissect it and figure out how it did all the things it did. It's one of those things that if you tried to do it from scratch from the start, I think you would struggle, at least I would struggle. I won't speak for everyone. Maybe some people's mind works like that. But I think shaders in general are easier to learn when you start with a finished product and work backwards. I think the key lesson from today is that visual effects are really only limited by your creativity. There's all sorts of really cool um, and unique ways to use particle systems and shaders and maybe some people haven't even thought of yet. 
So I'd really encourage you to get out there and do the trial and error and see what you like and what looks cool. And a really good way to do that is to participate in the Game Dev Challenge for this episode, which is to make a particle system. Um, Yeah, that's just a quick plug. I think it'll be really fun. I might even add my own submission for that. Anyways, with that, I'm going to end the episode. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zachavelli underscore. You can also find me on our community Discord pretty much every day. Uh, I'll leave an open invite link for that in the show notes. I do do some occasional streams on Twitch. That's just at Zachavelli underscore slash Twitch TV or however that works. I think I might start exploring uh, some new ways to make kind of live game dev a little bit more interesting. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Anyways, with that I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli, and remember that the Shader Gods require sacrifice for their arcane knowledge. 